Christ is the trailer to the feature presentation of the new creation. You guys understand that reference? The trailer. When you think about a trailer, when you go to see a movie, there's always those previews before, right? They're trying to hook you for the feature presentation. And the church of Jesus Christ with people who've been born again by his Holy Spirit, we are meant to be the preview of when this thing comes out in its full presentation when Jesus returns. So you're an actor and your life is a movie. That's a different way to think about yourself, huh? The comparison, though, kind of holds. The scriptures give instructions on how to live our lives in front of the not-yet-believing world. That's not the main thing Pastor Daniel's talking about today. He's going to let you dip your toes into the book of Genesis. He'll start with some background about the book that you should find very interesting. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 1 as he begins his message, Creation, part 1. I don't know about you, there's just something about studying the Word. And we're starting a journey that's going to take us some time, but it's going to be a fun time. As we open up our Bibles to the very first page, Genesis chapter 1, and we're just going to start tracking from left to right, from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus, verse by verse for as long as it takes. We've entitled this series Origins because literally the book of Genesis is the origin or the beginning of everything except for God because God had no beginning. And he has no ending. But we're going to see as we track through Genesis, the origin of the universe, the origin of order and complexity, the origin of the solar system, of the atmosphere and the hydrosphere of life, mankind, marriage, evil, language, government, culture, nations, the origins of religion, and the origins of God's chosen people. People always say, how can an ancient book be relevant for today? I mean, all of that is part of life, isn't it? So we're going to see the beginnings of everything as we travel through. Now, I want to make a point before we get started, and that is kind of how I'm going to explain different things as we go through the scriptures. And what that is, is that a philosopher and a linguist named Edie Hirsch said that there is a difference between the significance of a text, and its meaning. I'm going to explain that to you. It's kind of a deep concept. The difference between a text's significance and its meaning. Now, a meaning of a text is what the original author wanted the original hearer to understand. So what that is, is Whoever wrote the book of Genesis or the first five books, it's most commonly believed to be Moses, and there's no doubt he wrote a good portion of it. What was Moses trying to get across to his original hearers? What were they trying to understand? Or what was this trying to be expressed? That's the meaning of a text. 
So that has to do with the original author and the original hearers. Before I get into the meat of the significance, let me explain this to you. Because although Moses probably wrote the bulk of the first five books of the Old Testament, there's a lot of scholarly discussion about when did it actually become an established text. And really what a lot of scholars are coming to is that it was actually put together when the children of Israel were returning from Babylonian exile. So what that means is that although the text was in circulation, even the way it was brought together and presented has very specific implications for a group of people who are just returning from being exiled off their land. So that in itself has some meaning, doesn't it? That it was compiled for a very specific purpose. So you have the meaning of the text. What did the original author want the original hearers to understand? And then second, what's the significance of the text? And what that means is the significance of a text has to do with what does this text mean for me today? What does this book that was written by an original author for an original group of people, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for all of us in the 21st century? So we're going to be looking at both of those things. What's the meaning? What was the author trying to get across to the original hearers? And then also, what is its significance for us today? So today, on the very first study, we're going to look at the seven days of creation. Okay? It's important to make the note when looking at the whole Bible that the Old Testament begins with creation. If you were to turn to the last page in your Bible the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 21, we get a new creation. And we know right in the middle of the New Testament, we get the reality that we are, the church are, born again. We are God's new creatures, a new creation in the middle. So we have at the beginning the creation of everything. At the end, we have the ushering in of a brand new creation. And as you've heard me say before, the church of Jesus Christ is the trailer to the feature presentation of the new creation. You guys understand that reference? The trailer, when you think about a trailer, when you go to see a movie, there's always those previews before, right? They're trying to hook you for the feature presentation. And the church of Jesus Christ, with people who've been born again by his Holy Spirit, we are meant to be the preview of when this thing comes out in its full presentation when Jesus returns. So the Bible begins with the creation, it ends with the new creation, and we are this trailer in the middle, seeking to stoke people's interest in Jesus. Now, let's jump right on in. It begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And just like that, In 10 words, the Bible is radically controversial. 10 words on the very first page. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the most controversial book in the world. Just there. This verse is absolutely, positively controversial in our day and age. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Rudyard Kipling, in his work, The Elephant's Child, says this, I have six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. 
Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. That's a good one, isn't it? I'll say that again. I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. It's interesting that Genesis 1, verse 1, deals with three of these six honest men. The who, the what, and the when. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, everybody's waiting for me now to talk about creation versus evolution, right? It's like you come to Genesis 1, you're like, talk to me about creation versus evolution. I want to clue you in on something. The problem with Genesis chapter 1 as it relates to creation or intelligent design and evolution is a problematic text for everybody. And let me explain to you why. Because when the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Genesis chapter 1, it was not in the last 150 years after an attack of enlightenment thinking and scientific method. If the creation account was inspired in the last 50 years, it would read a lot different than it does. Because when you see things like in the beginning, we all ask, well, when was that? God created the heavens and earth. Well, how did he do that? And the reality is, is we don't really get the information that we want. Now, what this is trying to teach us is simply this, that there is a God and he created everything. That's what this verse means in its most simplistic form. Now, how he did it, what systems he put in place, it doesn't actually articulate. So all the time people say to me, they're like, well, you know, does the Bible disprove evolution? I'm like, it doesn't even really touch on it. Except for some verses that says that God created things after their own kind. But for somebody who has a scientific mind, they come to Genesis chapter 1 and they're left wanting. They come to it because they want there to be very textbook 21st century science in there. And there's just not. Because the point of Genesis 1 wasn't to debate the scientific community, about the origins of the universe. The purpose of the book of Genesis was pastoral in nature. It's there to comfort a group of people. And when you're writing a letter of comfort, you're often not going to put all sorts of scientific equations and theories in there. You're just going to comfort people. So all the time people say to me, they say, well, you know, what about evolution? And I say, well, you know, it doesn't seem that the Bible teaches that, but I would love a lot more information from the Holy Spirit. Some people would say, that's a cop-out. I'm not copping out. We're just letting the text speak. What this verse teaches us is simply this. In the beginning, whenever that was, God created the heavens and the earth. The who is God? The Almighty One. That word Elohim, which we have for God, we spend the rest of our Bible unpacking who is this God? Who is this Elohim? Who is this God who created all things and over the course of the Bible is going to do all sorts of things? So in the beginning, when was the beginning? It doesn't say. Wouldn't you love there to be a number associated with this? Whether it be 70 billion years, if you're an old earther or 6,000 years if you're a young earther, wouldn't it be great if God just gave, this is when it began? It just says in the beginning. 
God created the heavens and the earth. So it begins with the who, which is God. We move to the what, and we get this word created. And in the Hebrew, it's the word bara, which literally means to create out of nothing. See, God created everything out of nothing. How God did that, guess what? I don't know. I would love to know that answer. God, how did you do that? But it doesn't say how he did it. It just says that he did it. He created everything out of nothing. It's interesting that humans are creative by nature. When we get to the sixth day, we're going to look at that. But the reason we're creative is because we were created in the image and likeness of God. But the difference between what God does in Genesis 1-1 and what we do is that God creates the materials and we get the blessing of refashioning the materials. You think of the most simple human of creative acts, which is a man and a woman producing an offspring. And every child looks different. They have a different set of DNA. But we didn't create that DNA. That was something that God created. You think of the greatest symphony, whether it be Mozart or Beethoven. Phenomenally creative people, right? But did we create the sounds? Did we create the rhythms? Did we create the ear's ability to hear? No. We have the opportunity to refashion. You think of the greatest of inventors. They didn't create matter. They just refashioned it. So in the beginning, God, the who, created That's the what. And he created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth literally mean the totality of all things. The heavens is what is out above us and around us, and the earth is where we're standing. You could very easily say created everything, every solar system, infinity of matter right here. He created the heavens and the earth. Now, what's also fascinating is the when is in the beginning. That's when he did it. And again, we don't know why. Why? Now, as you move into verse 2, look at what it says. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, This verse obviously gives people a whole lot of problems because if God created everything, now it says that the earth was without form and void. And then you ask yourself, well, hey, what does that mean? What does that mean? And the reality is, is we don't actually know. Again, we don't know what it means. It would seem potentially, and I'm speaking potentially because I feel like as a Bible teacher, it makes no sense for me to try and tell you that it means something that we don't know what it means. Potentially, it means that when God created all the matter, it was not organized yet. It was in a chaotic state. And through the successive days of creation, God takes all that matter and puts it together. Some people believe that there is a gap here. That in this time, Satan fell and ruined God's creation. That's one of the ways people try and stump for an old earth position. But again, I'm of the belief that when the Bible is silent, we should be also. It doesn't say there was a gap of time. 
It just says that God created everything and the earth was without form and void. And once again, I have to say, I'm okay with that. See, I realize that you open up the book of Genesis and it's within two verses, you pretty much offend everybody in some way. Because it's like somebody holds to this view, somebody holds to this view. I've held to the view that, listen, God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And there's all sorts of things I wish he put in there that he didn't. I would love to understand, what does that exactly mean, null and void? What does it mean in the Hebrew, tohu vavohu? It's like early Hebrew hip-hop. That phrase shows up a couple times in the book of Isaiah, which... In one translation, Isaiah 45, 18, says he who did not create it in vain. Tohu vavohu. So then if you use that in vain, then you say the earth was in vain or not in vain. What does that mean? I don't know. But what is interesting is when it was created, there was a sense of darkness and void. And it says, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Fascinating. God created everything. There is this darkness, and the Spirit of God is hovering, is brooding, is there. And then in verse 3, you get, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. You have to notice this, that in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you have your first instance of the Trinity. God the Father, in verse 1, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep, and then the Word of God, and God said. Who's the Word? It's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we're going to look at these days. All of these days follow a pattern in the way that they're described. That's why a lot of people feel that the Genesis account was a type of a poem because you have this repetition of the creative word of God, a reports of its effects, God's evaluation that it was good. Sometimes God names things and then the numbering of each day. And it's a repetitive theme. God speaks, something happens. God says, hey, this is good. Sometimes things get named, and then a day is numbered. Now, at this point, as we're about to embark on the seven days, we have to realize that the biggest rub with modern science is this, that God summons, and it happens exactly as he commands. That's the biggest rub with modern science today. Because The problem that modern science has is that you cannot prove the existence of God in a laboratory. I mean, it would be great if a scientist went through the method and God just kind of peeked down from heaven and said, yo, yo, I'm here. That's the biggest issue that, because scientists will tell you all the time, someone who has what they would call an evidentiary model of how they understand truth, they'll say, prove to me that God exists. And, of course, we can say, well, just look around. We're communicating with one another. But the reality is is that the Bible teaches that God summons and it happens exactly as he commands and that the design of the world is not autonomous or accidental. It is based upon the will 
of God. So when people who have a science bent come to me like, I, you know, I don't understand how you're a pastor and how you can believe in God. I mean, can you prove to me that God exists? I always say the same thing. I say, listen, the only difference between what we believe is that I believe that God did it and you believe it happened by chance. And I'm like, this is all too wonderful to happen by chance. I don't have enough faith to believe that this could all happen by chance. I don't have enough faith to believe that. I mean, what are the chances of taking a 5,000-piece puzzle and throwing it up, and it comes down, and two pieces get stuck together, and you throw them up again, and they come down, and over billions and billions of years of tossing this stuff in the air, at some point, the whole puzzle comes out. But the problem with it is, it's not that they can't believe in God, they're just not willing to. Listen, I don't hold that against them because I wasn't willing to believe in God either. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I wasn't willing to believe in God at some point. And then I had a point that says, well, listen, if I'm not willing to believe in God, how can I say there's no God? Because even if there is a God, I don't want him anyway. If you listen to Richard Dawkins, maybe the most prominent atheist around, he'll always say something crazy like, well, if there is a God, I, for one, would be most disappointed. And to that I say, no matter how many degrees you have, that's bad science. You're bringing your bias to your science. But this is the rub. God commands it, and it happens. God says this is what's going to go on, and it goes on. And that is the biggest difference between the faith community, the people of God, Christians, and the scientific community. It's that one thing. Now, that one belief is a watershed for everything else. Because if you're not willing to believe that there is a God, then you have to come up with a way that all this happened. And so you get one theory. But if you believe in God, then you say, well, it says that God commanded it and it happened. And if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, then it's not a problem. But that's the rub, isn't it? Is God real? Can God do such things? Now, before we get into it, are they seven literal days? People always ask that. And again, this becomes a question of how do we date how old the earth is? And the reality is if you believe in a God, it could be six literal days or seven literal days. It could be seven seconds, seven milliseconds, seven million years because God can do it. Now, I believe that it was in seven literal days. Because it says, in an evening and a morning was one day. In the Hebrew, it comes off emphatic. It's very specific. I mean, if we believe in God, it could have said he did it in seven quarks of a second or something. And it's not even a real thing, a quark of a second. It could be anything God wanted it to be. So the issue is like, did God actually need seven days to do it? No. God could have done it in any amount of time he wanted to. The things that Pastor Daniel shared of the story behind the book of Genesis were quite interesting. The fact that it's been preserved for multiple thousands of years without alteration is more than just the dedication of scribes to be faithful reproducers of what they were given to copy. It points to a greater than human being who wants us to know about himself has gone to great pains to be sure that we can do so. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. 
I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue his introduction to the book of Genesis. He's going to explain a bit more about the purpose of the writing of the book and how the people of the time received it. He'll talk about the nature of God and how God's intent for the scriptures doesn't always match what people of modern thinking would like the intent to be. And then he'll begin to dive into the book itself. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Origins next time. Until then, may God bless.